For February 6th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 762. Sell everything you own and come follow me to my Animal Crossing Island. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your good friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together, talking over the things we enjoy. Or are we happy? One podcast, <laughs> one podcast has, uh, has the bravery to go into this this question. You know, I used to say your smart, funny friends from the internet, but it was kind of ruined by the film Bodies, 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 where the uh, the kind of the insufferable podcaster character, played by Rachel Sennett, um, uh, where they're all kind of like, uh, they're all just rolling their eyes at her podcast, and it's like, ugh, her podcast. And it's like, what? Your po- It's podcast. It's like hanging out with your smartest, funniest friend. And, um, you know, I, 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 I can't say, I kind of can't say your smart, funny friends from the internet anymore without like having a pang of that. So I'm, I'm trying out, uh, trying out something new though. I do feel like smart, funny friends from the internet, uh, is, is meant to be sort of self parody. You know, it's meant, it, it's meant to kind of deflate itself to deflate what, whatever, Sort of, uh, sort of claims it may make. Anyway, I'm your, uh, I'm your good friend, Matt. I'm here with your good friend, Pete. Hey, Pete, how are you doing? You know, I've, I've, I've been feeling a little, I'm fine, Matt. I'm totally fine. Everything's great. Oh, good. I'm glad. You know what? I'll take last answer, last answer, best answer. <laughs> it's, it's great. Good. No further digging needed. No emotional labor required of me. And Mark, how are you? Uh, full of fellow feeling for my fellow man. That's, um, that's is, good. Is that, the, is that the turn of phrase that we coined on here, Matt, or did you get that from somewhere else? What the, oh, the one that I, I, I am, I think that I am cognizant of having come up with when I was trying to describe, uh, when I was trying to describe what I hoped the internet would bring and it yeah, very, yeah, yeah, exactly very, that. very much never brought was uh, a great flowering of empathy and fellow feeling. But mm, then, there you go. But then F and Zuckerberg I am takes, and fellow feeling. are you? That, yeah, but Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg takes empathy, you know, and makes it like the watchword of, of Facebook, which, you know, has, has oh. not only only not only like done more damage to the commonwealth than anyway like what what i'm saying is i come up with great little i come up with great little slogans and things and uh <laughs> people take them all away from me you know what i mean you either die you either die the hero or podcast long enough for you to become a cliche and i feel like that's <laughs> after 15 years of doing this show that's uh that's where we are that and Matt, what about our other milestone this week, huh? Or last week? Oh, two million, two oh, million. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't necessarily going to do that, but the the um, let's do it. Let's our our podcast, our overthinking it podcasts, and that includes every public podcast that we've ever put out. So this TFT, the TV recaps, the book club, the thing, everything we've ever hosted on Libsyn, right? Um, we have unified analytics for, because I just, I, I don't use their features. They, they have a thing where you can like set up shows and, you know, like di- direct them to different outlets like Spotify or whatever, like an A F Spotify, 
A, that, but B, I digress. Um, I just use it as a CDN. So what I have is one number that reflects all podcast downloads overthinking it, uh, overthinking it wide. And, uh, that number crossed 2 million in, uh, in late December, which is a hell of a thing. If you, uh, if you think about it, 2 million that it, with each of these things being an hour, if you think of, of 2 million hours of the public time, you know, in distributed fashion, but 2 million hours of the public time being taken up with our BS week after week after week. <laughs> week on the thing it really is uh uh an amazing thing to an amazing thing to behold and so uh, we're we're proud to be your your good friends from the internet these uh these 15 years or these two million hours however you care to count that yeah so there pete that's a there's the milestone are you happy now (laughs) much happier i was briefly unhappy but then i didn't talk about it and then i covered it up with validation now i feel great oh good so everything's perfect (laughs) I'm yeah. hinting at the topic, Matt. I'm hinting it, at the topic. You know what? I'm I'm doing a thing. I'm doing a thing now for my own equanimity where I don't like when I sense someone, you know, just because of uh things in my background, when I sense that uh someone is unhappy, I feel like I have to like fix that, you know? And so I'm doing a lot of work to try to tolerate, you know, bad states of mind, not bad states of mind, but like someone else's to try to tolerate someone else being however they are without necessarily taking it on or like making, making it a mission to, uh, to fix it. And so what seems like callous neglect for you, Pete, is actually my enlightenment is actually, you know, is actually me becoming a better person by disregarding your need or not, not disregarding them so much as ignoring them, ignoring your right. needs. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, no, let's talk about, let's talk about the podcast because we're your, we're your good friends from the internet or are we? Um, <laughs> Mark, you're, uh, you're, you're there in a big city in New York City, the bustling metropolis. You must be so overwhelmed with, uh, with, you know, endless social interactions that you want to go on like a two week silent retreat or something, right? I mean, if you're referring to the end of social reactions I have with my children, yes. <laughs> um, perhaps you're referring, no, to uh, more peer interactions, those of, uh, um, quote unquote, friends, right? Um, r- real life friends, as opposed to just the merely smart and funny ones from the internet. Uh-huh. Um, um, kind of yes and kind of no. I'll, I'll, I'll back into that, and that'll launch us into our topic in kind of a roundabout way, but here we go. Beep, okay. Beep, so beep. It's, Fe- it's, it's February 2023 as we record this. And I remarked to some friends that I saw this weekend. I did see friends. I got out. I got out of the house. We had a date night. Went bowling. Amazing. Um, and, and I remarked to a couple of friends that I was there. I was like, hey, you guys remember three years ago in February 2020 was our last big night out before COVID happened, before the championship season descended upon us all, before a lockdown, so on and so forth. Three years ago. And that prompted some, some, some reflection on my part about kind of the the – um, really intense confluence of events of becoming a parent, um, having you know all that responsibility in your lives, and uh, and the the real limitations that places on your ability to go out, see friends, and have social interactions, and then of course the obvious restrictions uh, placed upon us by lockdown and and various COVID restrictions uh, over the last years, and kind of you know remarking how that situation had changed in 2021, um, you know very much you know the pre-vaccine period, 2022. 
Um, you know, this time last year with a, a, a really rough um, whatever COVID variant wave sweeping through uh, the United States and uh, again, placing pretty major limitations on, you know, the ability to go out and things like that. And finally, like, uh, uh, you know, achieving quote, some sense of quote unquote normalcy here in 2023 um, where, you know, you, you, people are out and about again, um, social activities have returned without uh, not completely anxiety free in terms of health and things like that, but uh, um, in, in a very different place there. Um, and it, it caused me for me some reflection on kind of my own uh, ability to get out of the house, really literally just get out of the house, go see people um, do things, you know, ha- have, uh, normal social interactions, and then there's a whole, of course, you know, remote work a phenomenon as well too. And you're going to rarely going into the office and seeing coworkers as well. And so, like, you know, that was was on my mind. And then um, layered on top of that um, it was the event that the director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development uh, came out with a new book, but the study itself is decades upon decades long, and it, it gets squarely at this whole issue of social isolation and loneliness in American society and how it has been on the rise, not just since COVID, not because of COVID, not even since like, you know, the dawn of the internet, but going back, you know, basically since post-World War II, how there has this been um, this uh, uh, marked um, continuing trend of increased social isolation and loneliness in American life. And um, the the current director of the study, I believe, appeared on the 538 podcast um, and so there's, you know, what is what is podcasting? But uh, all of podcasting is about podcasting in a way, right? We've said that before um, on this show. Um, so yeah, that all that kind of had this uh, uh, brought all, and we talked about social isolation on this podcast before as well. Like you know, bowling alone is, is a, um, a a phrase and a you know a specific book uh, that, that we like to reference a lot. And so I put it out there and I said, hey guys, what do you think about loneliness these days? And I think Pete. Uh, had uh, a few, I had a, a few lot of thoughts to it. Yeah, thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. There, be like, where, where, what, what, what was your reaction to that? Like, are, are, are you two feeling? Yeah, um, wow. That's, the, sorry, the I'm just, ability, lack of ability to get out of the house on account I, of being held hostage by I'm, small I'm looking back at Slack here. One hundred and seventy-eight thousand replies from <laughs> Pete. Fa- hundred. Oh wow, it just went up. <laughs> Are you still typing in that thread, Pete? That's I, the, I, I set you, some to publish later, so I didn't look too desperate. <laughs> <laughs> You had, no, it you, wasn't quite that bad. You had you had some thoughts. I actually, Pete, I was put in mind of the early days of overthinking it when I read when I finally I was not fo- following it in real time. I I came back to discover it, I guess, and and uh, I was put in mind of the the early days of overthinking it because I remember one thing. I remember a specific conversation we had in my first apartment where we were taking an academic. Uh, uh, article and just ripping into it, you know, <laughs> and it was so fun. It was so delightful to kind of try to, uh, you know, uh, this this particular bad art take on whatever it was. I, I even forget at the time, but we we had such fun with it that I I was reminded of that. I was you know put in mind of that that fun activity reading your thing. So what were your what were your reactions to the Harvard study of loneliness, Pete? Well, the, these are different. There's to be clear. There's not just one Harvard study. We went on a bit of a deep dive and talked about a whole bunch of different research. And we'll link a bunch of the good ones in the show notes. Maybe we'll talk about them more in the Discord. I don't want to dive into all of them right now. But there were two big uh, organizational uh, uh, papers that we started by talking about. Uh, one was the 
Loneliness in America paper from Making Caring Common, which I believe is a subset of it's it's related to Harvard, but it's a different project. And then the other one is the uh, survey of adult development, right? So it's one of them is more of a public health measurement of the lives of people as they get older. You know, who lives long, happy lives? They've been following specific people from different socioeconomic backgrounds for 85 years. That's the that's the study you're talking about, right, Mark? The one where they were following people for a really long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. longitudinal, yeah, going back. To yeah, the, the longitudinal study where they were like, the, oh wow, that's like from the from the late thirties, including President Kennedy, by the way. Yeah, where they start out being like, we need to measure everyone's head circumference because we assume that because phrenology isn't entirely out of style yet, and we assume that in the future the people with the bumpiest heads are going to be the most successful, right? Like, let medicine's come a long way since but there, they started. There that are thing. a lot of people by a like that Wait. study gets cited a lot. Oh yeah, uh, because just because it's sort of sui generis and uh, like it, it's very hard to do something like that. And because of the time and the place it was done, a lot of the people became prominent in culture. So I think like, like wasn't Theodore Kaczynski in that study, for example. And like, Oh, probably. I think like a lot of, I, I think, and, and then yeah, some household, other household names, um, you know, less, less notorious ones even like, uh, were, were in that study. I mean, I'm, I may be misremembering, but okay. So there's that, there's that study, Pete. Got yes. it. And then the Harvard Graduate School of Education has a study, uh, has a, a project called Making Caring Common. And the focus of that project is trying to instill in kids in social affirming social values and social behaviors relating to, you know, caring about other people and doing things for other people rather than just for yourself and measuring and understanding the different intrinsic and extrinsic factors associated with, you know, being selfish as a child or not being not being taught how to uh, have empathy for people around you. Right. And I had real bone to pick with the making caring common paper that we were talking about as distinct from the longitudinal study on uh, uh, adult development, because the me too, Pete, I don't think caring should be common. I think it should be special. It should be reserved only for people who've earned it. No, I just uh, think should... acts of caring should be special. Should not be humdrum workaday caring. I want I want caring to be frequent, but you know, special. Yeah, I I think my big issue with the paper was that it recommended literally everything. Like the it made it made a claim about how you know kids in particular are getting lonelier. And uh, that's one of the things about the sort of rise of loneliness is historically, and this has come up in a bunch of the different research we talked about, historically older people were the most lonely, which makes a lot of sense because their friends have gone, you know, it's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, right? Uh, which I guess is about birth, I think. But at any rate, um, you know, the older people are historically more lonely, but we've been seeing as loneliness in general has been going up, it's also been going up among young people, which is particularly troubling because it's unusual and it's not doesn't feel culturally comfortable, well understood. It feels dangerous. Uh, we obviously don't want our kids, uh, those of us who have kids, to suffer uh, in ways that, you know, we are probably perfectly fine suffering ourselves as is evidenced by all of the uh, terrible television that we watch. <laughs> but, uh, but the point being that it was like, oh, yeah, loneliness is a problem and we should reform every public and private institution in the country, if not the world. Right. Loneliness is a problem and we need to, like, teach everybody new ways of how to care for each other as human beings. Right. And and I and I really tore into this because it's like, well, if you don't make any specific recommendation, you're not you know, if you if you don't if you recommend everything, then you're not recommending anything. 
Uh, right. And, and the idea of an intervention, like what is it that you're doing to try to address the problem? Uh, it's it's um, that's the hard part is what do you prioritize? Because you could if you had infinite time and infinite resources, hypothetically, you could do everything. But, you know, in your life, you only have so much time and so much resource. And uh, and that's true in, for people collectively as well. Even if there's a lot of people and a lot of resources, uh, you can't do everything. But even if you could do everything, you have to you have to focus on things one at a time. Um, or if not one at a time, then you need to organize the projects such that sufficient attention and priority is placed on each of them that they are able to get accomplished. Um, and so the the longitudinal study is one that I like a lot more because it'll say things like, hey, you know what makes people really unhappy? Being an alcoholic, right? Like, like, oh, okay. You know, like if we, 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 we study a whole bunch of people from the forties and fifties until they got to a certain point in life. And it turns out that a lot of the ones who had really, um, unfortunate outcomes in various ways, uh, had, had drinking problems. Right. Um, and, and you probably intuitively thought that was the case, but now we have 80 years of data that proves it. Right. Um, uh, but the one thing that emerges from it though, that's interesting. And it loops back into our topic is that, one of the ways in which the thing like a drinking problem um, becomes a really bad health outcome isn't necessarily just the physical effect it has on you, but the effect it has on your relationships, right? And so, um, yeah, I got really angry about like, oh yeah, you know, uh, none, none of us are going to stop feeling lonely until we can like, you know, dismantle, uh, you know, all levels of of both the federal government, state government, local governments, private sector, right? All the NGOs, tear them all apart, rebuild them from the ground up, being more empathetic. Uh, we will all do this together as a society, which is just sort of mentioned without defining it, right? Like, who's we? If, if, if loneliness is a huge problem, why are we assuming that everybody is part of a society, right? Like, what does that even mean? Um, but, but the more you start talking about specifics, the more I get more interested because then it starts feeling like it's something you can wrap your head around. It's something you could potentially do. And it's also something that can potentially lend you a greater understanding because one of the things that happens if you prioritize nothing is that there are things that you're afraid to deprioritize. You feel, you feel like you have to prioritize, but that you, and you uncritically prioritize. Um, you know, perhaps measuring people's skull circumference was at one point one of these things. Like, I kind of think this is nonsense, but everyone in the department cares about it. So, like, we're going to have to measure skull circumferences, people, right? Like, uh, and there are things that are important, but might not be important for what you're talking about. You might not know. Um, you know, so, for example, uh, in my line of work, ladders are really important because they are, they, ladders are very, very likely to injure you. Like, if you're, if you're, because I work with, uh, you know, I work with the company that deals with occupational injuries and kind of people who are uh, who are hurt on the job and, and trying to get those people, you know, healthy and back to work and getting the medical care and stuff. And so ladders are uniquely dangerous uh, is one of the things that has been discovered or determined through like relatively recent research. And you might be like, well, yeah, but standing on a chair is also not safe. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, but like all of our research points to the fact that ladders are distinctly dangerous. Let's not like, let's not, let's not hold on to everything. Let's like figure out what to prioritize. So we got to ban yeah. ladders and invent anti-gravity boots. Exactly. If everyone just floats in a the fluid. Roof. Okay. Got it. <laughs> back to tanks. Cool. And this brought me through this long rant to a paper that I actually think is interesting and might be pertinent to the podcast, which is research from the University of North Carolina that was done very conveniently at the beginning of the championship season because it was also the time when the new Animal Crossing game came out, right? <laughs> I remember, <laughs> this, I remember. 
Yeah, and th- this is where it gets interesting, right? Is that there was a new Animal Crossing game that came out, and then also the world was shut down by a plague. And one of those things was important. Uh, the other one was kind of blah, right? It was like, whatever, right? But Animal Crossing had come out. Uh, but they basically, they were like, huh, isn't it really interesting that there's going to be this sort of enforced social isolation at a time when there's this video game coming out that's very much about playing socially with other people. So this is a game where you farm an island, right? And you, you know, you build things, you set up a little shop and you can have like, or a little, a little spot that's all your own. It has opportunities for self-expression and trading and other sorts of uh, social activities. You can invite people over. You can go visit people. And it was definitely a thing during the pandemic's early time, right, during the championship season, for a lot of people to be playing this game and for people to be socializing with each other on this game much more than they probably normally would have uh, if the game had come out at a time when people were, say, like allowed to convene in bars uh, for an unlimited degree of time in all of these places. And so they went into the research, right, with the hypothesis that playing Animal Crossing was going to alleviate loneliness. Now, uh, to quick definitions, super quick definitions, uh, social isolation and loneliness are not the same in, in this literature. Social isolation is the circumstance of not having a lot of social networks, not having a lot of connections, not like being around people, you know, various ways to define it. And loneliness is the feeling that you have that is associated with not uh, having these things. And the research points to this feeling being associated with very negative health outcomes for people. Like it's very, very bad for you, like, like up there with smoking in terms of how much it hurts you over your life. Uh, and again, I'm not saying this to what? scare people uh, or anything. I thought, Pete, I thought sitting was the new smoking. Now something else is the new smoking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, uh, but here's the God. thing, Matt. Is like, Does anyone else it's want not... a cigarette? <laughs> and I'm not trying to bash on lonely people because I think a lot of the time I've been a very lonely person. Um, and, and also, I've also not been a very socially isolated person. So that's another thing. It's like, oh, like loneliness and social isolation are not the same. Uh, how you feel about your social connections and your your sort of social satisfaction and your self-image and how you relate to all these things, these sort of social provisions associated with not feeling alone and the sort of pain of it uh, is not the same as the actual objective conditions. And this can be related to st- – it could be related to a mental illness. It might not be uh, and other sorts of conditions. But – at any rate, Animal Crossing, right? This is this is where we're going to figure it out. We're going to everyone's going to play Animal Crossing, and then that's going to be the answer. And what they found was that in general, the more the more Animal Crossing you played, the lonelier you were, right? <laughs> so, which is which is not what they expected, right? Uh. They did not expect. Uh, now, of course, they they chopped off the ends of the standard deviations, right? Um, uh, and and so they're not talking about the person who's playing all the. I think they had people report that they played more hours of Animal Crossing than existed in linear time between when the game came out and when the survey was completed so like i don't doubt people figured that out they're probably playing on multiple accounts or something but uh but but yes like uh barring the most extreme cases there was a rough correlation between playing more of animal crossing this is the only video game they were testing uh and being more lonely and there was also this but was really interesting was that having people visit your island was not associated with a feeling of less loneliness. It was associated with a feeling of greater anxiety. 
in this study, which I thought was was really interesting uh, looking through this, um, because there's you know a complicated relationship between things like loneliness, anxiety, depression, all this stuff. And we're not doctors, and we're not making medical recommendations or anything. But the idea that you might be worried that someone's not going to like your Animal Crossing island, right, is like that that tracks, right? That seems like something that might be the case. And um, and I think what they Thought. I mean, they, they couldn't make an ironclad conclusion about the causality that would require a lot more research, but they were surmising that the causality was kind of going the other way, that like, if you were feeling lonely and anxious because of the things that were happening at the time, it was common for the people in the study who felt that way very acutely to really play a lot of Animal Crossing. Right. And to like constantly invite their friends over to their islands and like really try to reach out to people through this. And that repeatedly doing this over the course of doing it, they just got more anxious. It did not provide them with the uh, emotional support that they wanted. Sure. Now, Cause they're, cause they're yeah. drinking salt water, right? Like they're, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny. I, well, it's not funny. It's actually tragic, right? Like they're, they're hungry for, for social interaction. And to a certain extent, they know that and are doing something adaptive, which is like ask people to interact with you, right? Yes, and whether it's yes. because of the championship season or because of, you know, uh, because of a kind of misprision having to do with what, what will actually make you happy, which, you know, we're, we're terrible at predicting, um, reliably terrible at, at predicting, predictably terrible at predicting. Um, like they're, they're drinking salt water. Like the thing that they want, uh, the the thing that they're that they think will will slake the thirst is actually is actually just increasing it. And it's it's sort of a tragic downward spiral that you can imagine. It's not hard to imagine, you know, a narrative of how this happens, right? Exactly. And and the counterpoint to it is that there's also research that suggests that socializing in video games actually does decrease loneliness. And in synthesizing that, the one of the some of the coverage of the study that we read that was also from the University of North Carolina suggested that there was a difference between engaging in a video game that has social elements for social purposes Uh, As in, like, you and your friends each have Animal Crossing islands, and you're going to, like, visit your Animal Crossing islands with each other, or engaging in the video game for an avoidant purpose, right, to try to escape from what it is that you're feeling because you're feeling, like, intense negative feelings. So even though it seems like it might end up being the same, that it's both a situation where you're asking a friend to come to your Animal Crossing island – not only how it feels in the moment, but the consequence of it and how it forms as a habit and how it kind of affects your physical and mental health was, was could go in very different directions based on whether this was a social arrangement that felt socially sustaining for you and that you were doing for a social reason or an avoidant method that was doing something, uh, you know, called what displacing. It was displacing behaviors through opportunity cost that might have potentially gotten you the social engagement that you needed, right? Um, but how do you know? How do you know which social engagement you need? Uh, that can be, I mean, it's an impossible question, especially in the championship season when probably a lot of things that you did, I mean, in this context, weren't available. That's why people were playing much more Animal Crossing than they might otherwise play. And so this raised for me the question of, okay, um, we know that, the experience of loneliness as it pertains to art, entertainment, uh, video games, music, like we know that it's not all the same. We, we intuitively understand 
that some things can make you feel lonelier, some things can make you feel less lonely, even within this particular realm. Here we have pretty charted out, at least observational evidence, if not outright proof, that the same game played by like a pretty similar cohort of people can have profoundly different effects on you know, your mental and physical well-being and also this particular issue of loneliness, right? Um, and, and it made me think like, okay, well, what about other things that we've enjoyed or done or thought we enjoyed, right? Because uh, because some of the two, some, a couple of the takeaways are you don't necessarily know if the thing that you're doing is going to help you when you try to do it. Like when you invite somebody to Animal Crossing Island and you and you're done with it, you're like, that didn't really make me feel good, right? Like that that just stressed me out. You know, you might have the self awareness and fortune to like recognize that and just not do it again, right? Like, uh, you know, not, it's not like it's it's not like it's you know a desperately addicting thing. Like you can not just not play Animal Crossing if it makes you feel bad. Um, and I don't think that Animal Crossing uniquely among video games makes people feel bad. I mean, there's a reason they didn't do the study about League of Legends, right? <laughs> so it's like we, we took we took a thousand people who all play League of Legends during the beginning of the championship season, and then we monitored them, and they all killed each other, <laughs> right? Like they or they all like set their houses on fire because League of Legends makes everyone miserable who plays it. Um, but that's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, not that major of an exaggeration. You guys never played League of Legends, right? No, um, just just heard you talk about it. Yeah, I mean, In a very I mixed guess, uh, kind of way. Yeah. I mean, I want to hand this off to hear uh, what you guys have to say about you know art that makes you feel less lonely or makes you feel more lonely or like helps you cope with loneliness. But I think uh, Pete, you, yeah. you you already said the thing. You already like gave the answer kind of implicit in your thing is that you like, you know, there there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so, right? Like it so much depends on what you're bringing to it in the particular moment. And so much depends on on the context right like what's the thing from psychedelics set and setting like what you know the 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 mindset that you bring to to an activity is going to color it and the the setting in which it's undertaken uh is going to color it actually like uh drinking is a great example drinking alcohol is a, a great example of this right like um the the and i i'm speaking here of of non-abusive or non-addictive drinking processes right like not set set aside that question for a second and you know in in non-abusive drinking like uh doing it socially is great (laughs) it's like wonderful a lot of the time and you know bonds people together and kind of like gets uh, in moderation right like does um uh, does great great things for groups and there's some some research that suggests that it was an evolutionary exa- uh, advantage for our ancestors that that you know they got a little tipsy together because it it had uh you know positive social uh knock on fat knock on factors for them drinking alone is terrible it's almost always <laughs> a bad idea <laughs> like it's never you know and i've never uh, when, when, whenever it's been like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just pour a little bit of, uh, a little bit of my, my, uh, scotch that I've been saving and watch the wire. Cause I'm sitting at home watching the wire. Uh, it never goes well, <laughs> you know, like the, and, and actually even like, you know, set and setting wise, um, Setting, setting wise, like numbing behaviors generally never go well. TV, you know, TV shows or, or whatever, right? Like, uh, it doesn't, 
it doesn't work. Whereas, you know, I don't know, watching the whole genesis of, of overthinking it is the huge lift that we all got of like watching a movie together and then, and then talking about it. I, you know, I also can, can think of like, you know, times when it's like, okay, it's another eight episodes of the Mindy project or whatever, you know, and like, okay, you know, I actually, I, I'll, we, we, stop with a, a little anecdote which was like uh last night we were about to go to bed and it and <laughs> the question of should we watch another uh another episode of the sitcom we're currently watching and and uh i thought and i i thought and i actually said the words i think that future us will thank us for going to bed <laughs> instead of watching <laughs> watching a another another episode of this so i you know i don't know i think that that just the kind of the 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 mindset that you bring in the context in which you undertake an activity are probably the determining factors in whether it has a, a sort of a positive positive or, or negative effect on yeah. on your feeling yeah to, to add to that as well and some of the other uh, various you know academic literature and studies uh, on, on this topic right engaging in social media um the, the, what we just said there in terms of the mindset you bring to it like that also applies there right just to, to put something very obvious out there or maybe not so obvious right like passively going through the feed um or also entering it with like you know a sense of agreement um will you know lead to bad outcomes one of which includes like political radicalization which is addressed in the 538 podcast that we mentioned before which i'll link to in the show notes um engaging more actively in a way to uh generate content and um you know uh proactively connect and make connections uh you know that with the scare quotes around that uh, appropriately or not so um with with your friends um that is um, seen as uh, more likely to lead to positive outcomes. I mean, no, no big surprise there, right? You know, like, you know, all of us here, right, have been in the numbing, uh, done the numbing activity of scrolling through the feed, right? And I think uh, all of us here, um, you know, would, would also acknowledge that that is uh, not a nourishing or great thing to do either. I um, I don't know, Mark. I turned my avatar green that one time, and I think I did a lot of good for the world. <laughs> but I, I never. I was promised a DM from Ahmadinejad. That that never happened. But uh, you know, yes, I I, I agree, Mark. I'm <laughs> using sarcasm to signal my agreement. With Congratulations on still being able to pronounce Ahmadinejad because <laughs> I feel like he hasn't been in the news a lot lately, and so like being able to keep that name in front of mind. I've never. I mean, memorable. you know, people who make an impression on me, I never uh, forget about. Them. I can still remember Dave and Itasi from Temptation Island. Okay, so uh, that's. I think uh, we watched Temptation Island two together. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh I think no! We oh no! We did. One. Yeah. With yeah. with the overthinking it crew when we when we were in college. Yeah. There's that, a great example of something that probably would have made us feel a lot more alone if we were doing it by ourselves. <laughs> it did have the idea of a social interaction and baked, baked into it, right? Yeah. Like exactly. TV. I, right. I I I remember that book about. Uh, uh, about uh, superior Ivy League students, you know, it, uh, right? Like, uh, and their social isolation. It was called Sneering Alone, I think, was the, the name. <laughs> well, okay. So, but one wrinkle, two wrinkles I'd like to add to those, the pressed shirt that you guys just took off the ironing board. Um, one is that, particularly with social media, I think it's also important to remember that the overall trend is very negative, like for everybody, at least in terms of a large scale. It's sure, sort of like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and it's also having worked in. Um, but Pete, there was an Arab Spring. 
Oh, I mean, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the correct answer, Pete, is how's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the correct answer is like, that's not the, that's why it's tough to have studies that don't pick what they're talking no, about. No, yeah, absolutely. That's right? Like, right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And I was, I was yeah. actually trying to do the kind of whataboutism that you were decrying before, because I think, I think it's easy to describe in, in the abstract, but it's really tempting to fall into to uh, some of those, uh, to, uh, to fall into some of those patterns, right? To like seize on a hypothetical counterexample that may not actually be strictly speaking true, you know, and uh, and, yeah. and to use and to try to use that as you know evidence that outweighs the evidence that you know um, that uh, a, a particular technology or a particular product has has like super negative externalities. Yeah, I will. I will also suggest that something like a big political event has so many different causes and effects that are happening concurrently that it can be really hard to justify. I mean, it should be really hard to justify uh, the effects of your own actions or choices with regards to like a big thing like that, because you don't necessarily really know. I mean, at the end of the day, do you feel more or less lonely? Um, we'd have to ask people who currently live in Egypt, right? Like. And I don't have the survey data. I think one of our links did actually do that. We can talk about it. But but to bring it to something that's a little bit more acrimonious and nasty than the than Middle Eastern politics, I want to talk about League of Legends for a second. Uh, just just because I wanted to cash this out. Because um, the other the other wrinkle in the press is the uh, is the sort of uh, coherence of the Cartesian dualist rational mindset. In choosing, like, yes, it matters what you bring to the table, but you don't necessarily have full awareness, let alone control, over what you're bringing to the table, and that's important to remember. Um, And I think that there are some discourses of this where people stress the notion of, like, a lack of free will and how the mind works. I don't like to think of it that way. Uh, I don't think that's particularly helpful or useful. Um, But rather, I like to think of it as sort of second and third order causes and issues, which is, you know— yeah, sure. In the moment, you don't really have all that much control over how you feel a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of moments that have led to the present moment. And in a previous moment, you might have had a little bit of control and then you could change things a little bit so that in the future moment, you feel the way that you want to feel. And then the moment before that, you might have a little bit of control that you exercise uh, so that in the moment you feel the way that you want to feel. I mean, this the, the, the real life example of this is like, you know, don't don't go clubbing drunk if you don't want to get in trouble. Right. Like like if you want don't or the really the example is don't keep the full box of Oreos right there on the counter if you don't want to eat a sleeve of Oreos before bed. Right. Like if that's a problem for you, like just don't have the Oreos in the house, in the house. And sure, you can in say, the house. Yeah, yeah. In the on the city block, in the <laughs> metropolitan area available um, for purchase for money. Don't you know what? <laughs> Outlaw Oreos. Don't have any money. Forswear all material possessions so that you don't eat a sleeve of Oreos. Take only sell, a staff and your sandals. Sell, go sell into the everything that you have and come and follow me on the over- yes. <laughs> to my island, to my, animal, to, cro- to my animal crossing island. Mostly ah, <laughs> the Thin Mints, by the way. They're vegan, so completely fine. Just oh, that's them. true. Thin Mints come from nature, so they're fine. Right. <laughs> um, but but uh, but just the the thing, the idea of okay, well, what are the things that are happening behind the scenes in our minds? And we've also talked in some recent podcasts about the sort of apparent versus actual truth and how difficult to deal with and how problematic to use a word that gets used a lot. That is in that it presents you with problems like 
a lot of things in the world are necessarily operating on a level that isn't entirely visible, such as, you know, microorganisms or like light that isn't in the visible spectrum. Like there's very simply things that you can't see that are happening that affect you and are really important. Uh, but because we all have to live in this mind space where there are things that are happening in importance that we can't see, there's also a tendency to imagine things that we can't see that are important to us without any particularly compelling reason to believe that they're there. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting to differentiate between the two classes. And I, and I think that places where you get to an, a, a dimension of specificity around it can be really powerful. So like I have a list here of social provisions of loneliness that's that, that, uh, or like social provisions that you are deprived of if you are feeling lonely, most likely, right? These are sort of things that if you have them, you are not likely to be lonely. Uh, and if you don't have them, you are likely to be lonely. Uh, social provisions is how they're described. And I want to explain each of them in the context of a game of League of Legends, if that's all right. Um, and I'll go, I'll start from the last that was listed uh, in the thing I read to the first. So one of them is opportunity for nurturance. This is the chance that you have to feel needed by uh, providing for somebody else, right? And this is sort of a, a factor in uh, parent-child relationships, right? And, and also in friendships, you know, you don't always want to be the person who's being helped. I think that it can be, you know, uh, something that's part of a, of a supportive and nurturing social reaction for you to be the nurturer. This, this also goes back to the making caring common people talking about like, we need to, if you, you don't realize how much happier you are when you do volunteer work or when you give to charity, right. Or when you like do something for somebody else, right. It, we don't apparently, we don't know front of mind that that actually makes us happier. And it's easy to say, but it also kind of feels like it's false, right? Cause it's like, Oh, really? Like, do you have any proof? Um, but just defining, at least in this list, this idea of like an opportunity for nurturance is a sort of social provision that can make you feel less lonely. In a game of League of Legends, you might sign up to be on a team. And these are teams of five that are fighting in a multiplayer online battle arena, right? Or, or uh, MOBA, where you have armies of drones that are constantly fighting each other that are automated. And you are trying to push your army of drones into the other uh, the other team's fortress by fighting the players on the other team for the most part uh, and getting in sort of starting off in small fights and then kind of getting in progressively larger fights as the game goes on. And you might enter as like a support character who has the ability to shield other players or heal other players or a tank player who has the ability to draw aggression from the other the enemy so that you can spare the other player. Right. Someone has a bow and arrow. Someone has a big shield. You want to stand in front of the person with the bow and arrow with the big shield and help them. And this can feel socially rewarding for you so great all right you're logged in you know you're you're queued up for league of legends as support uh it's not a very popular thing to do uh it's so you might not a lot of people will 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 log in as uh the one who's trying to help others and the other the other provisions will explain uh guidance right the idea that that um somebody could provide advice to you that would help you uh this is where you really start running into trouble with these things because this is a game which has unrestricted chat and the extent of the guidance you usually get is uh, questions as to why you did something that didn't work, right? Like the number one social interaction I ever had playing League of Legends for years was, was oh, you know, I go in, I walk to go fight the dragon, there's two people there and I die. And someone's like, why did you do that, right? They didn't say anything else to me the entire game. Like, why did you do that? And it's like, well, that's not like a useful question. <laughs> like, like you don't, you don't really want me to explain to you like, well, at this particular time, I knew the dragon had spawned. I didn't realize that the two people were there because I can't see them, right? Like I took a gamble. I went over there. I probably made a bad decision and I died. Like, 
that's not really the the truth value of the statement, right? Like, why are you doing this? Um, I so compare they, it. They yeah. Get good noob is not good guidance. <laughs> exactly. I would even just say yes. Asking. I mean, in improv, we would say asking a question is taking something away. Making a statement is giving a gift, right? The the idea of like, if you really want to help someone, please. If I could say anything to like multiplayer video gamers out there who are like socially toxic, I think a small thing that you could do is just ask fewer questions. Just just the questions are putting a demand on the other people to uh, answer a bad faith exchange, enter into a bad faith relationship that they know you don't care. They know that they, you don't care about their reason. Right. Um, well, and Pete, what you, makes they you, know what that makes you've you already made up your mind. What? I said, what makes oh, you say that? Because I've given my reason like many, many times. and, and um, <laughs> No, I was asking a question. As the, you know. <laughs> Why did, you, yeah, why did you do that? Yeah. Why, why did you and do then, that? <laughs> another one is reliable alliance. So there's opportunity for nurturance. Great. Guidance. Eh. Reliable alliance. Well, people, if, if one player goes AFK, when I used to play, you weren't allowed to surrender for 20 minutes. So if one of your players left, you would be in a four on five that you were almost guaranteed to lose and you couldn't leave the game. Uh, and so if anybody in your team ever left, you would be locked into this kind of like, this sort of penance that you had to do. Um, and and uh, it happened frequently, right? Um, people leave your games all the time. So the alliances are not reliable. Uh, reassurance of worth. <laughs> I, you know, get good, noob. They, it's funny because the game has tried to add this more and more over time. I believe at one point after I stopped playing, you used to have the opportunity to honor a player at the end of the game, who was on your team who you thought did a good job? I think it's mandatory now, <laughs> like or like very strongly encouraged in a way that it wasn't before. Like like they really, really, really want you to be reassuring your teammates that they did a good job and that they were worthy uh, to the extent that they have to make it non-optional because you would never choose to do it yourself. Um, and then, of course, attachment, uh, a sense of belonging, a social a sense of social integration, which in a game like this is just not going to happen because you're matched up with random people in each game. Uh, you know, for the most part, there there game the game can be played with you matching up with one friend or a group of friends and playing it together. But the overwhelming majority of people play it by themselves and are matched up uh, in accordance with their skill level and their kind of preferred role in the game. Uh, and so there isn't an attachment that's present with the other players. And because, as I've sort of established, the general level of discourse uh, that you encounter drink when you're talking to each other. It tends to be in bad faith, critical, not reassuring of worth, not reliable, not providing useful guidance, right? Like uh, it, it, it all I'm saying it doesn't necessarily lead to good cooperation, but all in all, even though you're playing a cooperative game with four other people, it can make the experience like really profoundly lonely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and this uh, is kind yeah. of Paul for the course for these types of games, too, right? Sure. I mean, go from what it. I understand. You, you, yeah. And and I'm going to come in with a counterexample for the one game that I do play, um, which sure. I've talked about yeah. on this podcast before, Star Wars Squadrons, right? Also five on five. Um, also has a support class. Um, mm -hmm. Also has a default game mode where you just kind of like go into the queue by yourself. And then you get matched up with, uh, with four other randos and you form a team of five randos and you go up against other team of five randos. Likewise, this experience is not great. Um, and it kind of fails in all those different ways that you described there. Now, what um, the quote unquote community, because that's kind of a small player base, um, figured out early on was um, get on Discord, um, join a squadron, essentially, have a nurturing environment where um, toxicity is not allowed. Um, and then, you know, form your group of five 
uh, ad hoc, but with a shared set of values and expectations about how you're going to play the game. Um, and again, you know, with the with um, with a strict tolerance, uh, a strict lack of zero tolerance with, with toxicity, um, go in, support each other. Um, uh, you know, everyone has the opportunity to. Uh, the expectation is that the more experienced players will coach, and I receive coaching, and then I in turn coach other people as they came along. And um, and then you know, people also just hang out on the Discord and talk about everything, uh, form actual relationships with each other. Um, learn about people's lives. Um, in many cases, I've met up IRL, um, and uh, a good time is had by all. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, that. That's a that's my kind of uh, example here, where playing a video game with a ostensible social element does not have to uh, be alienating and cause for loneliness. In fact, like really has brought a lot of people together. But what um, happened there, what happened in your situation is that I think the player has recognized a lack, right? And and kind of moved mm-hmm. to supplement that with this other with this other thing. And I, I mean, I gather Discord has been, you know, good for that generally. It's actually like, you know, the the sort of listener community of uh, our website and podcast, right, has has become less and less the comments as, you know, comments died more or less online. Like, and now we, we are uh, mostly hanging out in the Discord. Um, you know, um, I can put a link in, in the show notes if anyone wants to come yeah. come join us there. But the but that's like you know, I that that strikes me as as some like uh, some primo primo friend hacking there, right? Because like you got you got you got this game that might not give you the things you need, but you can you can kind of supply those for yourselves on the side. Yeah. yeah, and I should also add that, and I'll turn it over to you, Pete, because I think probably have uh, more things to say on this topic because you've been playing games online longer than I have. Um, this is not a guaranteed outcome. This is not easy either. Yeah. Right. This particular community that I belong to as well, like had its share of drama to be clear. Right. There was like literally a mutiny against, against an absentee. No, Pete, um, not a, know, not a, a rebel a, alliance, a, a reliable alliance. That's the, yeah. Yeah. there you go. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, and 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 also like you know the the the, the mods who uh, took it over like you know spend a ton of time like monitoring the discussion, enforcing rules, banning people, um, and it doesn't happen that often, but you know warning people, um, uh, setting the expectations, and you know providing that nurturing for you know an actual community with actual social interactions. So uh, I, I don't take it for granted. No one should. It's really interesting the relationship between group formation and conflict and like how hard it is to stay really conflict averse. If you want to be in a group that provides you with a positive experience, like you, you don't necessarily want the negative experience of the conflict, but if you don't ever get involved in a conflict, then when needs that are associated with being part of the group aren't met, there's no mechanism for dealing with them. Right. Yeah. And and that's, that's really, that's so hard. And it's, and I think that there are legit, philosophies for how to organize everything from hobbies to the globe that involve the idea of everybody's needs all being met. Uh, I mean, I I was very involved in improv theater for a long time. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about, oh, yeah, like all these issues of like reliable alliance, reassurance of worth, 
both the opportunity to nurture and the opportunity to get guidance being attached to something that's going to stick around. Like these all have really problematic relationships with various sorts of institutions that organize people into activities. I mean, talking about discord, one game that I play, um, I play a lot of Tekken, uh, here and there. I, I quit for a while. I come back, I quit fire. I come back. It's a fighting game. Um, actually at the video game awards, Michelle Rodriguez called it Tekken, which is actually, I think more accurate. Uh, although everybody in the English speaking world tends to call it Tekken. Um, and this is a fighting game, 3D fighting game, where all of your characters have like hundreds of moves, like over 100 moves uh, for each character. And so uh, in order to play the game at a very high level, it requires a lot of memorization. On a low level, you can push the buttons and do all sorts of fun-looking stuff. And because every button combination kind of does something different, you can create sort of fun-looking, cool fights. And playing it against another, another person is a lot of fun. Um, you can get into it and try to learn it, right? Uh, and that is a lot more work and a lot of solitary work, and it gets to the point where it's really not very much fun at all, uh, in my experience, which is why I keep quitting, which is whenever I start getting good enough that I feel like I need to, like, lab my characters to get better, it's like it's a whole bunch of solitary nonsense. But but the thing I wanted to mention was the discords, because uh, one of the things that happens naturally over the course of playing this game, which is related to what we're talking about, is – um, defense in this game requires you to make reads, like probabilistic reads on what your opponent is likely to do uh, based on what they've done in the past because things happen so fast that you can't observe them and then react to them uh, in the moment, right? So like, you know, something happens in a sixth of, you know, a tenth of a second, right? A twelfth of a second, something along those lines, Um you, although in Tekken, the smallest unit is usually 10 frames, but it, it gets smaller sometimes, 10 frames being one-sixth of a second. Um, that, like, when you play against the same person over and over again, because there are also so many options that nobody really uses all of them, you do what's called downloading. Like, when you play against a given person, even just by getting into the zone, you can anticipate what it is they're going to do next based on what they've done before. And so if you're playing more of a defensive mindset, it tends to be the case that over many matches with somebody, you gradually do better and better, right? Uh, because you you download the other person, you start to read their patterns, you start to figure out what they're doing, and you start to anticipate their moves so that you can react to them uh, soon enough, not quickly enough, but soon enough to stop them from happening. And then one of the things that happens online and one of the ways that people climb up in the online ranks is they take a proactive stance that requires the other player to make a lot of knowledge checks. So it'll be like, I'm doing all sorts of fancy uh, strings and kicks and punches. And if you don't know which kicks and punches I'm doing at least a little bit in advance, you're not going to be able to stop me. Uh, but if we play three matches by like the third or fourth match, you're going to start picking up my patterns and you're going to start being able to beat me. The first time you beat me, like I, so what I'll do is I'll win three matches. And then the first time you beat me, I'll unplug my console. Like, like, and I'll just leave. Right. I, which invalidates the current match you're in. There's no record or penalty of it because they never set one up. And, and so they end up going undefeated against you. And then the one time that you win, you end up not being rewarded for it. Um, or they just leave and don't rematch you again. Uh, which means that like you're down three to one and, but you never had the opportunity to even the score. Right. And this is this is both extremely common and also like really socially not how you would want to do it. And so people do. They've done the same thing or a similar thing that they've done on squadrons where people go to discords and find matches and agree beforehand how long they're going to play and what they're going to play. Uh, and, don't, and they don't give up. Like if somebody starts winning, you don't just leave. 
like uh, because right. they, you know, they they bided their time. And it's really interesting uh, from just the game perspective that the game mechanics create this situation that interacts in such a complex but de- but really really deterministic sort of way, like like not deterministic but but uh, causal. Like the way the game is arranged can cause people to have these social relationships with each other in this particular way rather than others. These really complex uh, social incentives that then the, you know, cause the players to engineer patches to the game mm-hmm. based on like social features that aren't incorporated in the game when you play it. Um, I will say, Mark, that you and I played Street Fighter once. Yep. And we wanted to check out some fighting games. And I had so much more fun playing Street Fighter with you, even though we didn't know how any of the buttons worked. Uh, <laughs> and then when I played the Ninja Turtle game with you, uh, I had so much fun. We played Shredder's Revenge. It was so much fun. And we were playing the uh, that that uh, Back for Blood game. We had a few sessions of that that we formed on our own Discord. The Overthinking It Discord had a Back for Blood team that went out like three or four times. And that was so much fun. And each of those interactions was so much more fun than any of the video gaming that I do by myself. But then when I do that, you see, I want to be better for the next time. Like, I want to come back the next time we play and be better. And to do that, I'll go play by myself and I'll mm. be miserable. <laughs> my, my anxiety will be ratcheted up in the same way that the Animal Crossing person who feels like they have to keep inviting people to their island, right, sees the anxiety go up rather than get that social interaction that they're looking for. So I think um, what, what you're saying, Pete, what you're advocating for is a, is a kind of uh, video game analog to a gym buddy. Right. You want to work, you want to, you want a workout partner where you can do kind of like one on one, like drills, you know, etudes, if you want to be super pretentious about it. (laughs) Video jam bands, video game jam bands. Right. Exactly. Together and and jam out. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, maybe just do an actual jam band or go to the gym. (laughs) But let's not get crazy. You can't go to the gym anymore. Right. Because those have all been closed down. You know what? I haven't paid. I I haven't uh, I haven't stopped paying my gym membership. And I'm I'm exactly exactly the behavioral psychology problem that they that they are counting on because I'm I keep anticipating future me being, uh, you know, more enthusiastic, uh, more disciplined. (laughs) Whatever than than uh, today today me is. Um, I, I I built my own home gym at great personal expense and also with wonderful gifts from friends. It was on our wedding registry and everything, all sorts of gym equipment. And so so I don't have to pay the like two hundred fifty some odd dollars or whatever it's going to take to go to CrossFit. I I don't have that kind of money when I have kids, and I probably didn't even have it when I was paying it right um, to pay for a CrossFit gym anymore, even as much as I loved it. Um, but it's so but yeah, it's so much harder to. Uh, routinely and regularly uh, exercise in the gym that I own that is in my garage, right? Than like the gym that was down the street because there's no, there's nobody else here. You know, like there's, if anyone wants to come over and bench press with me, that would be really nice. Well, it's Maybe what, on the discord. It's Maybe what, on the overthinking at discord. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I, it's hard don't for come me to my house. be sympathetic with <laughs> people who move to the suburbs. Um, the, I mean, that's true. We we don't we cause our own problems. Don't I'm not look, Matt. Tolerate my unhappiness. What are you doing? <laughs> a, it is okay for me point. to be unhappy and you not to be responsible for it. Um, well, <laughs> like, I mean, just like to, to, to tie the gym back to the video game discussion, right? Like you have this like kind of set of circumstances, and you can kind of see like you know how they can go both ways, right? You know, a gym in your house in the suburbs, right? becomes either, you know, you, you can go to it all the time or, you know, variety of circumstances can come together where you don't, right? A video game on the internet with its rules that are, are baked into it, right? 
um, it can, you know, lead uh, to a whole slate of toxic behavior, antisocial, destructive, toxic behavior among players. It can also set the stage for people to self-organize and form wonderful communities, uh, enriching communities uh, to engage with that exact same game as well. So, like, I, I think about all these things here. And I'm, I'm like kind of honestly torn about like, you know, do I feel like pessimistic or optimistic about how, you know, society we are uh, adapting to the, the very imperfect hand? How we were playing the very imperfect hand that we've been dealt. Um, I don't know a, a card metaphor. Probably is not the, the right thing to, to introduce into this here, but um, it's uh, it, it, it like at the tail end of this conversation. If we're wrapping up here, like it's it's like a, a strangely more insightful than uh, than I thought it was going to be. But Mark, you're saying I need a card metaphor. Come yeah, on. the card the card metaphor is that that you, you you don't play the rules. You play the player. You know, you don't play the cards. You play you play the player and the best way to do that is to unplug your console from the wall (laughs) (laughs) just throw out the throw out the smart smartphone these are these are these are things that we uh these are things that we let into our life i don't know Pete. i was thinking i i mean because you know you bring up sort of uh, parenthood and sort of the the moving out to the stubborn sort of development i'm put in mind of like um and put in mind of psychoanalysis and the idea of like, you know, when you're a child, your CrossFit gym provides the wad for you. But as you become mature, you provide the wad for yourself, you know, and that that's like, uh, it's a, a, you know, very, very kind of mature and adaptive, uh, adaptive uh, maneuver to put the, you know, to put the gym in the garage. And so we're all going to go to Pete's house. We're all going to unplug our consoles (laughs) and we're going to meet in Pete's garage and we're going to do the wad. And that's, uh, you know, uh, reverse box jumps, uh, Two two minutes. The ceiling am- is only seven feet high. Don't do that. Am wraps, <laughs> right? Uh, and then then we're gonna do the one where where you 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 jump up and punch the ceiling. You know that's right. that's one. <laughs> then- but my baby is asleep above that ceiling, so you're gonna all wake up the baby, right. which and is then- gonna be a then- game in itself. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, then we're going to do the one where we, you know, I don't know. Then, then we'll hit the heavy, heavy bag and we'll go for, then we'll go for wings after, uh, afterwards. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. (laughs) Being, being really, uh, being really, you know, the, the, the actual point of, of going to the gym or doing a group fitness thing is going and eating a lot of unhealthy food uh, together, uh, afterwards. Yeah. Um, it is interesting how you bring up maturity is, such an interesting idea because so much of our um, ergonomics and user experience, as it were, in all of these entertainments, whether it's, you know, how Netflix interacts with how we watch TV or how these video games are structured for how we play. So much of it is about, you know, creating the frame for how we engage. And so much of maturity is about owning your own frame and psychological maturity, as you're talking about it, is so much about owning your own frame for how you engage with things. Yes, that, that really means that there's going there is a permanent conflict. Like it, there's no easy resolution to it. There's no simple like just just unplug your life and and just go walk in the woods and everything will be fine. But like there is going to be a permanent conflict between what you you know should be doing for yourself by your own mature determination and what the systems that you're adjacent to are going to be. Uh, establishing and setting up for you as your frame, as your way of engagement. And you have to 
own it. I guess it's similar to well, it's, what, the notion it's kind of, of what you, you know, said. Sorry, Pete, you, you finish your no. thought before I interrupt you. Oh, I was just going to say it's similar like Mark and his Star Wars squadron where like, yes, you know, if you form a Star Wars squadron, you may need to have a mutiny to throw Rogue One into the into the surface of the forest moon of Endor. Right. Like because because once you have a group, then uh, you have to deal with the group's conflicts and the group's problems. Uh, you know, you are in a group with all of these entertainments that are engaging with you in a behavioral manner, uh, you are going to have conflicts with them. And you should not, you know, assume that it is always right. Uh, and you should not always, you should be careful and observant to not always follow your gut because you often make decisions that in specific sense would increase your loneliness, uh, which in turn would lead to bad health outcomes. But I'm sorry, Matt, what were you? No, you I, th- were, I think that's right. I think that's a really, I think that's a really insightful thing. It relates to something you said earlier about the kind of the, the lack of control uh, over how we show up at things that we have sometimes. I, I, and I think that's true, but it's half the story, right? Because like I, as a, as a person or as a mature person, you know, a, a person at, at sort of later stage of development, y- you're the clay, but you're also the sculptor a little bit, right? Like, and like the, uh, become, becoming your own sculptor is like part of the, uh, uh part of the journey of kind of like t- taking ownership, taking responsibility for, uh, for, uh, a lot of this stuff. And so, y- yeah, you don't necessarily control the clay, <laughs> you know, you don't control the consistency. You don't control how the clay was treated up to, uh, up to a certain point. But like, th- there comes a point in adulthood where, where y- you have to say, okay, this is the clay I have, right? Like, and I, I am now responsible for doing what I can, uh, with it. And, uh, you know, this is barring, uh, some like extraordinary tragedy or, you know, it's just the, I'm talking about the kind of the, the average expectable, you know, life in the kind of normal range of the vicissitudes of life. Like yeah. you, you have to like, you know, you have to sort of, uh, you gotta, you gotta sculpt, you gotta sculpt the clay. And that's, you know, uh, to a certain extent, I think it does, it does have to do a, a certain, uh, a certain amount with what you're talking about in terms of like asking, you know, asking what, what future you will, will thank you for and not, you know, letting yourself, or at least when you recognize certain things like pattern matching against those things and saying, ah, yeah, this is, this is, this is bad territory for me. For example, uh, this is Girl Scout cookie season. (laughs) Oh, if the uh, Girl Scout cookies come into the house, uh, unmitigated disaster will ensue. And I, I'll take a, I'll take a page out of your book, uh, your, uh, book, Pete, given that it is Girl Scout cookie season. I, and I will own my own frame, uh, as long as that frame is a squat rack and, uh, I can, you know, uh, work off some of those, some of those Girl Scout cookies. I think we need to leave it there, uh, for today. If you would like to write in to your, uh, your fun, uh, your, your good friends from the internet, um, you can, uh, you can do that in the comments, but hey, come over to the Discord. That's, that's where, uh, the cool kids are hanging out. There's a link in the show notes for this episode, uh, that if you are listening to it within a, a week of its original release, uh, not the aliens puzzling over the digital information created by our culture 40,000 years into the future and wondering what be, what became of all of us. Um, no, I mean, uh, I mean, actual humans, uh, get, uh, get onto the Discord and, and, you know, talk. We, we, we keep it positive. <laughs> <laughs> on there we, oh, yeah. keep, we keep it pro-social um i i suppose our community has well sorry i don't want to don't want to uh don't want to jinx us um but uh yeah we'd love to we'd love to see you over there we'd love to see you listening to the next uh overthinking a podcast uh, where we'll be back for that next week until then you can find us on the web at overthinking it.com where for the last 15 years we have subjected the popular culture 
to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Times two million. <laughs> You know, the Center for Overthinking It Podcasts has determined that listening to the Overthinking It Podcast is the single most important positive in- <laughs> intervention. I can't even say it with a straight face that you could make to improve the quality and quantity of your life. I think you meant, I think you meant, Pete, uh, uh, joining the Overthinking It membership uh, thing and, and oh. you know, signing your credit card up, right? Like that's because that also, that is an opportunity for nurturance. Uh, sure, I, that's why you always submit these things to peer review. <laughs>